Good morning, everyone. So we are currently, this month, we have been dedicating this whole month to exploring the depths of transformation. And this week was a tough week. I remember Jackie once saying that before she would stand up to give a message, she had to live the message out. And I felt very much like this week, that is exactly what was happening. It took a lot of discerning, uh, and I'm so thankful for people who gathered around to help discern direction. And, um, but I, I'm confident that, uh, that we've landed where the Lord had wanted us to land. So here we go. Um, we're going to camp today in a phenomenal chapter in the book of Acts. And it contains so much rich encounters throughout the whole chapter from beginning to end. It, it's intriguing. It starts with, uh, you know, threats and murderous thoughts, and it ends with somebody dying and somebody coming to life. Um, we're not going to focus on all of the interactions in there. We're going to focus on one particular interaction. And that chapter, oh, sorry, here we go. This is the title. It's called The Birthplace of Transformation. And the chapter we're going to focus on is Acts chapter 9. Last week, um, Chris, if you haven't watched the message, talked about that transformation only takes effect when we have a heart transfusion. And he shared a little bit about his story about being hit by lightning and how that shifted something in his own heart and began to change some of the things that he was constantly concerned about or feeling that were his responsibility that he wasn't allowing God to partner with him on. And uh, if you haven't watched it, he did a bang-up job, and I was so, so thrilled to have him teach the message last week. So we're going to jump right into chapter 9, all right? And chapter 9 opens... um, by describing the condition of Saul's heart. We're looking at Saul through this chapter. And um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Saul was a Pharisee, and a Pharisee in Jewish culture was the highest pinnacle of society. He had reached the top of the top. He was the chosen of the chosen, and he had arrived, basically. But it tells us that in this particular chapter, Saul's heart uh, was full of breathing threats and murderous thoughts towards the followers of Jesus Christ, known as the followers of the way. And so it's safe to say, based on the teachings that we have done so far in transformation, that his particular heart was shrouded in darkness. And in fact, it was quite hard towards every man, woman, and child who was a believer of the way that he sought, chase after, to capture and destroy and imprison. On this particular journey, Saul had a mission to go to this town called Damascus and pursue the Jesus followers. The scripture reads like this. As he, Saul, traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, 
why are you persecuting me? The scripture goes on to tell us that Saul inquired of this voice that he heard, who are you? And came to discover that he was actually having an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. It then tells us that he got up from the ground. His eyes were open, but he could not see. And he had to be led by the hand into Damascus and remained in that condition for three days. On the third day, a man named Ananias, a disciple of the Lord, came to Saul saying this, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus Christ who appeared to you on the road where you were traveling has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The scripture then goes on to say in this chapter that with the laying on of Ananias' hands, scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. He got up and then he got baptized. It goes on to say that immediately after being baptized, Saul proclaimed Jesus as the son of God in the synagogues. It says that he grew stronger. He astounded and confounded the Jews and spoke boldly in the name of the Lord. Based on what we just read, I'd like to draw your attention to some of the words that really popped out to me. Remember, we're looking at the birthplace of transformation. Here is what I believe is the first clue towards transformation. Light from heaven, a voice speaking, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. If this is true, we should be able to find this pattern elsewhere in the scriptures as a proof that this is in fact a formula or a presentation of how God engages to do a transfusion with our hearts. So think for me, if you would, where is the first place in scripture that you would encounter light from heaven, a voice, and the Holy Spirit? Right, George, in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, we come upon the earth's transformation. It is transformed from one state into the other. It opens up by saying to us that the earth was formless and empty and that darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. This darkness can mirror the darkness that was in Saul's heart. Breathing threats. Threats are often empty, right? And yet, this murderous feelings towards the Jewish believers in Christ Jesus, can represent the darkness that was covering the earth. The scripture goes on to say this, that the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, and then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Verse 4 continues to tell us that God saw the light, that the light was good, and then God separated the light 
from the darkness. This, to me, reminds me of Saul not yet being able to see, confounded within himself or troubled within himself at the realization that the acts that he was pursuing to chase down every man, woman, and child who believed in the way, to capture them and destroy the way, was very much a tormenting kind of reality. And he could not physically see. This represents the darkness. But in comes Ananias, lays hands on him, scales fall from his eyes. This is light breaking forth. And then with it, the realization of being baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, and proclamation. This is what the rest of the scripture says. That the light that was produced in Genesis chapter 1, that was spoken forth and broke forth, it became the source that sustained transformative life day after day upon the earth. And it is true. Without the light as our source, the sunlight, no part of photosynthesis, no part of growing would take place, except maybe mushrooms, <laughs> right? They grow in the dark. But, you know, but the life-sustaining source for all of the animals and for all of the people on the earth comes from light. There is one more place in scripture where all three, light, voice, and the Holy Spirit shows up. Can you think of where that might be? We find it in the Gospels. In three locations, in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17, Mark 1, verses 9 to 11, and Luke 3, verses 21 to 22, and they take place at the baptism of Jesus. It doesn't matter which account you read, from either of those Gospels, they all state that the same events take place. And what are those events? The heavens opened, which I imagine to be cloud cover that breaks, since in Mark's Gospel, he uses the words, the heavens being torn open. So when you tear something, you're revealing something concealed inside of it, right? I think of it as clouds torn open. And that's how Mark describes the event. The Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus and remaining on him, hovering, just like he hovered in Genesis over the waters. And then the voice of the Father is heard saying, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. John 1 verses 1 to 5 tells us that in the beginning, as the catalyst of transformation, was the Word. And that the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. It goes on to say, in him was life, and that the life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. So what do we learn here? 
We learn that upon Jesus' empowerment through his baptism, he functioned as the word of God, as God with God, as the source of life-sustaining light upon the earth to the lives of men. And encounters with Jesus transformed the poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, and the prisoner, just to name a few. In John chapter 3 and 1 John chapter 4, it talks about being born of water and spirit, and it equates light as love. So in John chapter 3, we get to eavesdrop on a private conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Now, I don't know if you guys have seen The Chosen. I love The Chosen. In season one, episode seven, you, they unpack this lovely little conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus so well. Um, it, it just gives you a new respect for Nicodemus. I just love it. But anyways, in this conversation that takes place in John chapter three, Jesus talks to Nicodemus about the baptism of water and of the Holy Spirit. He then talks about the love of God in verse 16 by saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And after he talks about the love of God, he then talks about himself, which he just described as being the source or the magnification of the love of God. He talks about himself as the light that draws men But not everybody comes because people are happy in their darkness. And they don't want to come to the light. The same writer of John chapter 3 is the same writer of 1 John chapter 4. And in 1 John chapter 4, he takes the same elements described there in in chapter 3. And he unpacks them a little further. He goes just a little bit deeper. And while the actual word light is alluded to, from beginning to end. It's not actually said, but it's alluded to because every time he mentions darkness, well, we know that the contrast is light, right? So in the absence of darkness, there is light. And when darkness is present, there is no light. And so he then begins to unpack in 1 John chapter 4 about the security of having the presence of the Holy Spirit. A security to the believers that they would know that they were born of the Spirit because of the presence of the Spirit. And he makes contrast between the Antichrist Spirit, which will not come and will not declare Jesus coming in the flesh. He also then talks about the manifestation of love as evidence of our light source in Jesus Christ. In Hebraic understanding, or should I say messianic Hebraic understanding, they know that light represents the very love of God since it is the very essence of God that pushes forth. And here, John alludes to them both in John chapter 3 and 1 John chapter 4. This reminds me this camping out in the presence of the Holy Spirit 
being saturated in love, which is the light of God. How Moses himself was transformed by being in the presence of God. As I said before, encounters with Jesus transform our spirits, our souls, and our bodies. The gospel attests to this fact as truth. And in Exodus chapter 4, verses 29 to 35, it testifies to the effect of being in the Lord's presence upon a person. For 40 days, Moses was in the presence of God. Upon turning his attention back to the people, the evidence of his beholding the beauty of the Lord was all over his face. It was so bright that Moses actually had to cover his face with a veil. And scripture tells us this was for two reasons. One, because the people could not actually look upon it. It was just too much for their eyes to handle. And the second was so that they would not see the glory fade. Every time he got into the presence of the Lord, he removed the veil and his face began to shine again. 23 years ago, sorry, 29 years ago, not 23, 29 years ago, Jeff and I were first introduced to the Vineyard Movement. Its founder was a man by the name of John Wimber. If you don't know much about him, you can, uh, I suggest, because if you're new to the Vineyard or you haven't been around for as long as uh, some of us have been, then you might not know what John Wimber brings to the table, how John Wimber influenced the church across the globe by listening to the voice of the Lord and doing what the Lord was saying, by ushering in a place for presence. And you can, um, I encourage you, if you've never listened to his personal testimony, to go to YouTube and type in John Wimber Personal Pilgrimage. It's about an hour and a bit, and it's really quite fascinating. I encourage you to go and do that if you haven't done that. John, in his journey and the pilgrimage of coming to the Lord and doing church, and then God saying, I've, wa- I've seen your ministry, you know, do you want it? Can I show you mine? And him learning how to do ministry the way that the Lord desired and modeled. He discovered that by spending time in the presence of the Lord, beholding the Lord's beauty, that our spirit would be infused with belief, our souls would yield to the Lord's voice, and our bodies would be changed through the supernatural exchange of beholding. Intimate worship would take place for an hour to an hour and a half when John was leading. And following that intimate worship, he would wait for three to four minutes in silence, which would make everybody really, really uncomfortable. As he waited upon 
the presence of the Lord. In that silence, adoration of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords would rise. Jesus would be magnified and seen and glorified. He recognized that in the presence of God there is life, just like 1 John tells us. That the life in the presence of God is our light. It shines our way. It removes the darkness. It sustains the life in us. And he recognized that perfect love was made manifest in the presence of God that would cast out every fear. Because sins would fall off. The poor would have their heads lifted. The brokenhearted would cry their tears and know that they were heard. The mending of the heart would begin. As shame and guilt, worry and concern would fall to the ground in the presence of the Lord. In Moses' day, he was told to take off his shoes. The shoes represent the way that we walk. They are molded to our feet. In Joshua's time, he was told to take off his shoes. And when we come in the presence of the Lord and we allow his love and light and life to penetrate, when we soak in that presence, our way of walking in our life our way of thinking about ourselves and others, our way of believing falls off. We take off our shoes. And there we are reshaped, remodeled, infused with a transfusion of his life, his light, and his love. And we go from being haters to lovers just like Saul. As we were praying about today and the days that are coming, felt very strongly that next Sunday, we've talked about transformation now five weeks, three in the month of June, two weeks prior, when we introduce transformation, five weeks. That's a lot of talking. And I felt like the Lord was saying, next Sunday, that's not what we're going to do. There's not going to be a sermon next Sunday. I've reached out to Krista, who is leading worship, and we are going to try out, put on John Wimber's model. We're going to intimately Seek to worship the Lord. We are going to wait upon his presence and behold his beauty and his glory. And then we're going to see what he does when we do our part to come. So next Sunday, if you decide to join us on the live stream, 
I pray that you would come with an expectation and not come as a spectator. So that while worship is going on, close your eyes. Open your hands. Sit down or lay down on the floor. If you are a child or a youth that has grown up in this church over the last eight years, you are well familiar with this. Getting down on the ground and saying, come Holy Spirit, and waiting for his presence. Boys and girls, if you're hearing my voice, your mummies and daddies might need help with that. The reason being is because it's very hard for an adult to stop this, for responsibility to come off. But it is the very thing that we need in order to still our hearts and bring us into a place of peace so that we are no longer in a place of striving in all of our relationships. We will worship next Sunday, and we will wait, and we are going to see what the Lord will do amongst us. As we behold his life, his light, and love in spirit, in soul, and in body. As we move into the Sundays in July, we are going to be exploring what it means to be deeply rooted in Christ. And we are opening up the tank every Sunday for baptism in the month of July for anyone who should feel a stirring to have baptism of water and of spirit. Now, I don't have time this morning to be unpacking baptism, but if you have questions, go to our social media pages, our platforms, put your name down and and say, I've got questions, and I will call you, and we will talk about uh, baptism. But baptism was very, very important for Jesus, and it is very, very important for us. Not only the washing away, which is the representation of water, but the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And we want to pray for the infilling of the Holy Spirit so that we too, like Paul, can be transformed. We're going to pray. Lord, we can talk to the cows come home about who you are and how you are. And, it, and I don't negate that it is powerful when we testify about the things that you've done in our lives. But I also know, Lord, personally, that it has been by being in your presence that I myself have encountered transformation. When your light, your life, and your love infuse my heart, talk to me about my purpose and identity in you, and then lead my steps. David cried out, Lord, this one thing I ask, this one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the presence of the Lord, in the house of the Lord, forever. Lord, as we make space next Sunday, and I know you're already in it, we come eagerly, expectantly, to encounter you. Come, Holy Spirit. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.